Welcome to the Lions Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Monday evening teaching. Mm. No, we're all close up. Still need the microphone. What do you think? Can you hear it? Is it working? Okay. So, happy Thanksgiving. Some people are going away for Thanksgiving. So, Roberta, are you still going up to Savasti? Yeah. <laughs> Very good to do Ninye. How many days? Yeah, that's great. Can you explain? Maybe everybody doesn't know what the purification fasting practice is. Yeah. We'll be thinking about you. Yeah. Yeah, good. On this Saturday, uh, we're doing the Mahamudra Kalachakra practice. And uh, <clears throat> for retreats where Mahamudra is uh, and giving advanced teachings, it's important that uh, you know people be close students. So. Uh, uh, everyone has taken refuge and uh, Greg's interested so I said okay let's just do uh, refuge Monday night and Sophia's here and she's going away for Thanksgiving right but uh, we'll we'll do the extended refuge practice on Sunday uh, the 15th uh, as part of uh, Lama Sankapa Day, and then that's very auspicious to do that. <clears throat> Lama Sankapa Day is where we do Lama Sankapa's Guru Yoga, um, where uh, uh, we visualize the, uh, it's called Thousand Deities of Tushita. Tushita Heavens, where the loving Buddha lives, Maitreya Buddha. So, in our tradition, we don't have to water down. We don't have to say loving kindness. We just say love. <laughs> so loving Buddha, loving Buddha, just loving like that. <clears throat> and then tonight I'll talk a little bit uh, about uh, Vipassana. We've been, uh, most of us have been reading Garjana. <clears throat> Tsongkhapa, Chandrakirti, correct? Been reading The View. Um, and this is classical where we hear uh, from orally and we read, this is the way things are. And then we meditate uh, and then uh, and we contemplate uh, narratively like intellectually, and then we do placement meditation, uh, 
and then we do action. So <clears throat> usually uh, people start out in the West uh, meditating or whatever they call meditation before they do any substantial uh, reading. Isn't that so? We start out that way. And then a lot of people start out sometimes on the wrong step, but it's hard to correct. <clears throat> the actual way it's done in Asia is uh, we develop uh, first uh, an ethical standpoint. We first stop harming ourselves. We want to be healthier and harm people less, and that's called training in uh, Adi Shila, the higher uh, ethics, higher discipline. <clears throat> So again, it isn't like training in the West, thinking, well, I'll meditate, and then I'll stop having bad habits, or I'll meditate, see emptiness, and uh, the bad habits won't be bad habits anymore. <laughs> I really, the way we start is we start by saying, okay, I'm just going to be a decent person, and then we, and I want to leave samsara, and then we hear authentic teachings, read authentic teachings, and then uh, we do like contemplation, intellectual contemplation of the teachings, and then uh, meditative stabilization, and then insight, and then action like that. It's developmental that way. So in our tradition, you can actually do quite a lot through intense um, using the mind, uh, uh, I would say intellectually, because we have intellect. We have the ability to use prajna to discriminate, to think about things, and to get things correct. The problem is, uh, without the stabilizing meditation of shamatha or shine, as like um, Arjun Rimshay was talking about, our, our insights uh, become fleeting. They don't become embodied. They don't become stable. How often have we had fantastic dreams or insights and then they disappear? Right? <laughs> think, I'm going to remember this forever. Or I'm not going to make this mistake again. Or I'll remember this dream. Or, you know, da 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 da. Or, you know, we're underlining things in our books or something and we're going, I got it, this is it, you know, exclamation point stars, and then it's gone, right? So, uh, in the actually correct way is, of course, we develop uh, a positive habits and some ethical basis for our behavior, not wanting to harm, wanting to benefit others first. And then we, uh, we hear teachings and we read and we really contemplate and um, we get uh, you know, very close to uh, non-conceptual, but it's still conceptual, but it's close, right? The reason we do it this way in our uh, tradition is because um, if, if you have uh, at least a generic idea of what a tree looks like, uh, or you go to a new land or town, you will recognize it when you're there. Okay, so if somebody says, this is what this looks like, 
we haven't seen it, but we've seen pictures of it, or we've heard descriptions of it, so that when you see it or hear it, it, it will snap into place. As opposed to trying to uh, strip away um, all kinds of thought and all kinds of structure and just see our experience bare and then try to figure it out after that. That's actually a slower path. Some people see that as a meditative path, like if I just drop all my concepts immediately and just see bare, immediate reality, I'll be enlightened, right? Hasn't worked yet. (laughs) So... Actually, if you have kind of uh, a correct idea about something and then you have the uh, actual experience and those come together at the right time, then uh, it's not only deep and valid, but it's also secure. How many of us have had experiences but we haven't known what we've had so we haven't been able to integrate them. So here, we have some, we have some intellectual idea, not, not just uh, fanciful information, but actual uh, description of, of what we're looking for. And then when we do see it, uh, then uh, we have the correct like, holder for the wisdom, the, we have the teacup, and the tea goes in like this. So, uh, particularly in Vajana tradition, uh, we do build the bird cage first, and then get the bird. Sometimes, in people who have studied Zen or other New Age kinds of things, think, "Well, I'll just strip away all kinds of knowing and meditate, and then it will come to me." And I've never met anybody that it's actually worked that way. If you don't know what you're looking for, you're unlikely to find it. Is that so? Yeah. <clears throat> so we respect uh, correct uh, uh, intellectual work, and by intellectual, I don't mean just information or random. You know, we actually um, use our mind that way. That's mind too, right? So I'm delighted that some some people are uh, doing the reading and struggling with it. It should be like a relationship. You're having a relationship with the reading, which is like someone's talking to you, like Nagarjan is talking to you. So you have to think this person's talking to you, and you're 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 struggling to get to know not only what they're saying, but what's the person trying to say. It should be a struggle. <clears throat> until you finally get some kind of sense. <clears throat> I'm working uh, to, uh, next time we meet, is to actually do some of the, take some of the, uh, the way Nagarjuna and Chandrakirti's and Aryadeva's work actually is used in a meditation session. So to do a guided uh, meditation uh, based on uh, Madhyamikan logic. There actually is that, you know. <clears throat> the Vipassana uh, that we talk about 
uh, is translated in Tibetan as latong, means superior seeing. It's funny, I'm, I pronounce a very American style with a little nasal and nerve la tong, right? <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, it's, it's possible to actually do it as a real meditation, and after we've done some of the reading, so we have and some of the struggle with the text, then we're ready to actually do the contemplation of it. So the reading of it does have a sense of view, right? There's like a Vipassana or a higher vision piece of it, and then we have to bring it into our present situation, and then we do the shamta on that. So uh, we'll do that next time we meet, right? But I want to do more refuge today, but uh, I'm putting together a guided meditation. Um, I, don't, I don't think anywhere, uh, I don't think anywhere there exists uh, a text of the guided meditation, so we're going to put one together, actually, because usually these instructions are, they're mapped out, they're talked about, but then they're orally presented. But I think it might be useful to have it more structured for us. What do you think? <clears throat> so uh, it's a little bit, I was explaining to Connor and Patty this afternoon, it's a little bit, clo- not exactly close, but let's say someone uh, uh, close to you dies, and at first you don't, uh, there's sadness, but later, you know, it, it doesn't feel like they've totally gone yet, you know? But then after a while, there's a sense like they're really not here. Or uh, if you look for something and it's, it's not there, there's at first a little disbelief, right? A little denial. And then it's like it's not there. So there's an actual experience, isn't there, of like, oh, I expected to find something or I expected someone to show up and they're not there. So it's more than just information like, oh, you look for the self and it's not there, and like, got it. But it's different when you're looking for someone, even if they, you have a, like, a luncheon or dinner date, and you're thinking, okay, where are they? And they don't show, right? And then like, you finally get it, like, they're not coming. That's an experience, isn't it? Or someone has died and they're, they're, they're not going to be there next time you see them or they're not coming back from work or even just a pet. There's that experience of not there. Shortly after uh, my teacher died in 1998 um, and we were meeting at my apartment, uh, I, I came home one night and all my ritual items had been stolen. Someone had a key, you know, because I'm very kind of trusting and lend out a key. It was very strange, very, oh God, teacher dies a week later, stolen. So I noticed that right away, like, you know, you sit down and <laughs> you go to <laughs> pick up your bell or something, you know, if you're doing a sadhana, and like, huh, like that. <clears throat> uh, but it wasn't until like a week later or a few days later, uh, I thought, well, I'll go for a bicycle ride. And I 
couldn't find the bicycle. So I had the generic idea that something was stolen. I got that, you know, and of course that wasn't there. But it's funny, it wasn't until I like it was really exciting about looking going for a bike ride because I needed, you know, and then it wasn't there. That's an experience, right? It's go, it's it's not there. So that's why we we do this um, uh, strong intellectual work uh, until we become really convinced that it's not there, the self or the phenomena or the, of course, inherent existence. Um, and then, and then we put our very strong concentration uh, on that and keep it on that. And that's how we start to develop uh, real, non-conceptual, direct, non-dual understanding. But we have to, like, uh, first be, be oriented to it. We have to first be directed to it. We're directed poetically to it with Mahamudra and Dzogchen and other things, but in the Madhyamika style, we're, we're directed to something even more difficult, what isn't there. That's harder, don't you think? I think so. <clears throat> so we, we need a strong understanding of, at least generically, like how we do the process and what, what isn't there. But then we go through the meditative process of searching for ourselves, searching for phenomena. And then when, you, when we get that kind of like, after maybe a thousand, a million repetitions, we get like, I didn't find it after a million times. It's like not there. And then, because our shamatha practice, our you know that meditation, the concentration meditation, is very strong, you don't you don't leave that place. Whether we're doing Mahamudra, Dzogchen, or Kalachakra, or Lojong, or we're looking actually to be convinced of what isn't there. And Dharma, what's there will take care of itself. We have a problem of acting as if something there which isn't. And we have a problem of looking for things also that don't have uh, inherent existence either. So all of Dharma is really like, um, please don't spend any more time looking for what isn't there. Actually, it's never been there. And don't try to make up something when it isn't there. It's interesting, right? We should we should get all this right away. So after repeated meditations, intellectual and shamatha, and direct insight, uh, then actually we develop a strong confidence, like it's the case that nothing's wrong with us. Are we all looking for what's wrong? We are. <laughs> I know something's wrong. You know, I'll find it. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm happy that some people have st- stuck with the study and stuck with the shamatha meditation, doing that concurrently, um, because our style of doing vipassana, which I'll teach too, is not 
this Madhyamikan style is not an Abhidharma style. Abhidharma style that you find in Spirit Rock or you find in, even I've taught this kind of style, is sitting quietly, uh, watching things go by and labeling them, right, and letting them go. Isn't that how most meditation is taught? You know, we're saying, well, I'm noticing my thoughts and I'm letting them go, or I'm going back to my breath. That's that's an Abhidharma-style practice. You're noticing, you're labeling, you're detaching. That's, that's the basic methodology of Theravada, Vipassana. And we have an Abhidharma practice too, but the Madhyamika practice is, is a different stage. We just finished reading the um, Heart Sutra, right? So in the Heart Sutra, Avalokiteshvara Chanrezi is telling Shariputra um, all these things that you've been paying attention to, identifying and looking at how we're made up of the skandhas and all these different things and letting go of this and letting go of that. No, 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 no. Right? It slams it, totally slams the Abhidharma labeling process and the letting go. Does it say, it doesn't say letting go. It's weird, isn't it? They say when the Buddha taught the Heart Sutra on Vulture Peaks, some people had heart attacks. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Ken McLeod, Lama Ken McLeod, calls this the Heart Attack Sutra. Okay. But actually, teaching the Abhidharma practice for beginners is uh, useful, right? Because we're just sitting here and it seems like thoughts are streaming, so we're just, we need to say, well, that's thought. And don't get caught in the content, or that's anger, or that's delusion, or that's this. Just go back to your breath. But that's an Abhidharma style. We don't find that in the Shamatha texts we've read, right? Calming the mind doesn't talk about that at all, does it? Zero, right? Because we're getting ready, we're, it, it's geared toward uh, a Madhyamikan approach and a Mahamudra Dzogchen approach rather than labeling and letting go of particular things. The uh, shamatha we do is towards concentration, stability, clarity, and balance. It isn't necess- and it does notice if we're out of balance, but it's not labeling and letting go. Don't find it anywhere in shamatha. Is that disappointing? Because some people get really good at that. Like they, they love watching their experience go by, but they don't do it. Uh, the the Madhyamikan uh, or uh, the second turning of the wheel is deconstructing our sense of solid self and it's it goes completely differently doesn't it then of course the third turning of the wheel like we'll be reading Maitreya and talking about uh, the luminous awareness then uh, that's a Vipassana style too but you'll have to read that before I'll talk about it. <laughs> I'll talk about it this Saturday. <clears throat> so, uh, but all we do, uh, all three in our tradition, we we see into emptiness of uh, self, emptiness of phenomena, and emptiness of mind. But the most important piece, which a lot of people miss in uh, 
American Dharma in Asia too is that selflessness is the most important because that's where the problem starts. We, we have a very tight thing of I, me, mine, and I own it. And from that, the uh, dualistic mind and all the clashes and emotional things happen. So I've had run into many people who say they're doing uh, Mahamudra and Dzogchen, so they just see the natural uh, awareness, natural open, empty, clarity, nature, mind, but they still have an incredible strong sense of just regular self. Isn't that weird? So they still have that. They're just like, well, when I'm dwelling in the open, empty nature mind, um, they're great. But all you have to do is insult them. My job is so easy in some ways. <laughs> you know, it's like the minute someone doesn't get what they want or they get what they don't want, the individual self flares up immediately. And they say, well, I've been doing Dzogchen for 20 years and I'm seeing nature mind. And then all you got to do is insult them. It's so easy. They fall into it every time, right? Or they don't get what they want, or they want what they don't get, right? And the self flares up very strongly, doesn't it? Isn't that weird? You know? You've done all this practice, or you've done all this Abhidharma practice too. Um, so Abhidharma is on one side, you could say nature, mind is on the other, and the, the Madhyamikan thing too really go after the nature of misperceived self is right in the center. So that's why we do need <coughs> argumentation and we need some dialogue and we need debate because then that, that sense of ownership of self, the misperceived self, is going to come out really, really easily. When, when you're doing debate or when you're having heated discussions, you can't be a watcher, right? A watcher assumes a certain kind of passivity, like I'm just watching. Well, that won't work in a debate, right? That won't work in discussion. It doesn't work in relationships. You know, if you're just sitting home <laughs> going, how was your day? Uh, I don't know, I'm just going to watch you. <laughs> it's not very, right? That doesn't work. So, likewise, just realizing nature of awareness without investigating phenomena, without investigating self, also becomes a huge attachment, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's not until oh, we run into folks that are very attached to either mind or attached to these broad things like emptiness that you'll see how hard it is to teach. The Buddha said, uh, if people are attached to internalism, it's not as bad as if they're attached to wrong view of emptiness, right? But what do you do with someone who says, I'm already enlightened, I see the nature of mind, and, you, and they won't listen to any teachings, and they already know everything. What do you do with that person, right? One of my Zen teachers had a famous koan. He said, dropping ashes on the Buddha, right? I've talked about that before. So there's a, there's a student that, that thinks he's already realizing emptiness and nature mind and smoking cigarette and comes up and just taps the ashes on the Buddha on the altar, which traditionally wouldn't be a cool thing to do, right? Or just does something else really just outrageous. And you know that uh, that person 
doesn't have um, a correct relationship with uh, agreed upon reality or conventional reality. Just, you know, very kind of narcissistic, grandiose, the rules don't apply to me. How do you teach that person? Well, we're stuck with them, let's say, so. <laughs> Tough love, yeah. Uh, ask them why. Ask them why. Yeah, you could ask them why. Yeah. And what if they say, well, I felt like it. Why? Yeah. <laughs> and then you keep at it. And then they get very angry with you. <laughs> why? Yeah, and then they have their hands on you. <laughs> yeah, so then you got to go, okay, what am I going to do now? At some point, you're going to have to have uh, a drip. <laughs> Uh, just a little hint, you're going to have to have a direct contact with, with someone who's claimed some knowledge, right? So eventually in, in our program here, you know, we'll, we can start doing some, uh, a little bit of debating and discussion. What do you think, right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> right. Uh, these uh, different styles of Vipassana, I want everyone to know, uh, at least in a beginning, fundamental way. Um, so we're, there's a Vipassana that investigates nature of self, nature of phenomena, and nature of mind, right? Okay. So any, I'm, I'm just kind of lecturing, and now we're going to do the refuge, but I'm, I'm open to comments criticisms or complaints. Yes. That um, having uh, emptiness as your object of uh, shamatha meditation would be extremely difficult and he yes. like doesn't rec- or he like didn't recommend it necessarily. Um, so yeah, just curious how we do that? Uh, he's talking to fairly, you know, actually beginners in that retreat, of course, um, who haven't done a lot of study. Um, so, of course, stabilizing tranquility meditation is generally done f- first, you know, with with something very concrete. So you're actually looking at an object that isn't moving, whether it's a statue or a flower or a rock, and then you're trying to develop an inner image that doesn't move, or at least you're doing something that has consistent movement, generally like the breath, right? So those, those are easier uh, phenomena to identify, right? Uh, but um, you, can, you can generate through repeated analysis, right, through uh, the style that you know, people are reading, this sense of, uh, you know, real sense of uh, it's not there. The, the self can't exist the way it appears. I know it all appears that somehow someone's in here kind of running things that is in it but separate from it and owns it at the same time but is kind of the same as it at the same time, right? There's something, right? But the more analysis we do, which I'll leave people in that meditation. I think I'll go over some of it on Saturdays. Uh, none of those are tenable, right? So it's like we're looking for something that we think must be there, 
and we don't find it. So you can keep on looking until really searching in that sense of meditative analysis, right? Not just like it should be this way where we know the answer, a meditative analysis. Uh, and then you can come to this place where, oh my God, that it, it doesn't exist the way I thought at all. And then you can put, uh, you can do shamatha on that. So are we kind of like asking ourselves questions? Like how does it work? Or is it kind of like not sentence-based or? Uh, we'll we'll do a little bit if you're coming Saturday. I can't make it Saturday. Uh, no. We'll do it later. Okay. Yeah, we'll do it another, yeah. Uh, we're not really asking, just a little hint, we're not really asking ourselves sentences, you know. So in a very like mundane thing, if you've if you've lost your keys, right? Or like uh, you can't find the clicker to open the garage door, you're not thinking like where's it, where is it, where is it, where you know, you're just looking, right? So you don't have to be repeating the sentence over you're you're zeroed in on what the topic is. You know, if your child's run away from you in the mall you might be stopping at people and saying, have you seen my child looks like this? But you're not constantly repeating, where's my child, where's my child, right? Because you have, you have shamatha, you have that very determination on that, right? You don't have to keep repeating it, because it's that intense. It's a little bit like that. So you, you hone in on like, you know, where, where you should look, and you're going with intensity. So, you know, if you're getting somebody there's been an earthquake and people are crushed under a building, you're not constantly thinking, well, I've got to look for people, you know, where are they, right? You're just looking, right? You're st but you still, there's a direction to it, right? Like that. Yes. <clears throat> Good evening. Yep. Uh, if I'm looking at myself and I'm not there and I am there and something's happening that I don't enjoy but it's not relatively important it seems like I can sit with that and I start to deconstruct the self if I'm sitting there watching something happening and I feel compelled by values not by worldly desire, but by values for what's right. But they're not there. What is it that I'm struggling with? What, what, uh, what we're always working with, particularly Madhyamaka style, is um, it appears that our sense of self inherently exists, like it's always been there and exists kind of its own separateness and appears to exist from its own side and appears somehow uh, to be independent of our psychophysical body but same own at the same time. So that, that appears very strongly and sometimes in meditation we're asked to, and, and different things, asked to amp that up a little bit so we, that really comes into view. But then we have to examine uh, 
through intellect, through logic and reasoning, uh, is it actually possible for the self to exist this way? So we're 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 going after that search. So we're going we're we're always having working with that balance. Like uh, things appear very solidly outside, and they appear we appear very solidly inside. But if we examine it, we find it's not tenable. So we we have that kind of dilemma. We, it feels very strongly that it's there, and yet all the correct methodology shows that it isn't. So we generally have to pursue that uh, uh, very strongly. And what's what's difficult in the practice, of course, is that um, uh, generally people get tired. <laughs> so they're, they're kind of like climb halfway up the mountain, so to speak, and they go, well, I feel kind of like, I know it's not there, it still feels like there, and I haven't really gotten to the actual experiential of knowing I don't even need it. Um, but I'll just, I'll just kind of rest right here because I feel somewhat calm and somewhat psychologically adjusted, so I'll just, I'll just stop here. But there's, there's still, the, the roots are still there, the Buddha would say, the seeds are still there, and um, under stress that person will still act from that standpoint of uh, belief in inherent self. So under calm circumstances, we'll look calm, but then under difficult circumstances, it will flare back up. You know, it's just the same like when somebody goes, yeah, I, I know I got to quit smoking. <laughs> I know it's not good for my health. And you go, yeah, yeah, you know. And then maybe finally they get a sore throat, you know, for two weeks, and then maybe finally they might even get some kind of diagnosis, right? And then they quit. What's really interesting is when they don't quit. And then they get a tray coal, right? And then they're smoking out of the tray coal. You know, they're, they're, taking, they're digging the oxygen out, you know, and then, you know, they can't even talk, right? And then they, they're smoking. Has anybody ever seen that? Yeah, yeah that's scary, right? You know, like that's that's thinking that's that's some serious addiction there, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so something's already been removed. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we 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 can see how strong you know certain attachments can be, but yeah, <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So there there is an experiential thing of. Uh, finding out that things don't exist the way they appear to. <clears throat> yes, sir. Hi. Hello. So in the experience of suchness, uh, are there still the thoughts of I? They're just understood as conventionally real only. And when you say suchness, you mean what exactly? Uh, in a clear, luminous mind. Uh, empty, clear, luminous mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the question is? I, mean, I guess I can't imagine uh, being in situations and not thinking, oh, well, I this or I that. 
Um, so I'm wondering if that mind <coughs> still has those thoughts. What, what would Nagarjuna say? <laughs> My intuition would be that, yes, the mind would still work like that. It just wouldn't be grasped in the same way. So what we're after eliminating actually is uh, the delusional structures, right? So, you know, if we thought the earth is flat and so we won't get on the boat to, you know, go for a cruise because we don't want to fall off the edge, right? That's, that's more than just kind of a thought like, I'm going to go to the store, mm -hmm. right? So, of course, the Buddha said, I'll meet you for lunch, <laughs> you know, like, like that. But what we're talking about is eliminating the uh, delusions, the, the misperceived structures, right, and the projections. So, of course, we're, we have to have regular thoughts like, um, you know, I'll meet you for lunch and then I'm going to be doing this tomorrow. So we can, you know, the understanding of emptiness of course, which Nagarjuna is very goes after, is said the 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 relativity and dependence uh, is what allows the conventional to operate. So when people, uh, that's the problem. Sometimes going to talk first about mind, because we go to something that we think exists somehow absolutely outside, also like this mind. So how would conventional thought work, but actually there's no big mind outside, right? So we don't need a big mind to figure out that the earth isn't flat, right? So when we figure out the earth isn't flat, we don't have a whole bunch of also emotional pain and emotional, you know, dualistic structures as a result of that. And also, I think in Chandakirti, it was saying that he hadn't achieved the state of suchness. Is that true? Did I read that correctly? Um, this you know, when we use suchness, suchness is just another term for emptiness. We have to be clear about that, you know. So it's not like this emptiness and then we get something nifty that's actually there called suchness. So of course suchness has no inherent existence, right? It makes it sound like it's a positive that has inherent existence. Isn't that so? And it makes it sound, when we say mind, oh, luminous mind, it makes it sound like Finally, we have something that, you know, uh, has some basis there where emptiness sounds nihilistic. Isn't that right? So that means we haven't read Nagarjuna, you know. So emptiness or shunyata is what allows uh, all kind of conventional realities to work. It's just things are empty of inherent existence. Otherwise, we're doing Hinduism. Hinduism would say, this maya of all the individual you know, things going on, changing, and then there's a substratum of Atman or Brahman underneath it, right? No. Yeah, so there's maya and then there's Atman.
So, of course, uh, you know, in the Buddhist world, as we get to third turning of the wheel, like reading Maitreya and, and talking about nature mind, there's a tendency to read it like, well, there's something great, great, there's mind, you know, so we can rest in mind and then we misunderstand that that is something substratum, just like we've misunderstood Nagarjuna to think that it's nihilism. It's always going to be the middle way. This, you know, so like that. Does that make sense? Struggling? Yeah. Because then, too, like we're talking about like there's 10 boomies and they seem to be hierarchical. Yeah. But they're not existing hierarchical. hierarchically. It's not like. There's 1 o'clock, there's 2 o'clock, there's 3 o'clock. Right? We could say 2 is later than 1. Three is later than two, right? It's but it's a it's a nice workable convention because it's nice to say we're going to meet here at seven, like that. So Dharma is profound because the middle way neither is eternalism or nihilism, right? And that's why you know actually it takes some meditation and study because the tendency is to go to either side and like flip flop like that. More Zazen. Yeah, this isn't Zen. Zen, Zen tends to be it's really like you think you're sitting there and like, I'm resting in mind. And that's a problem sometimes in Mahamudra and Dzogchen. You know, we think, well, there really is a mind I'm resting in, right? Can there be a mind that's a substratum that we can really rest in? No. So why doesn't everything just disappear? Why don't we just kind of go off into a blank? Right? What's holding the whole thing up? Everything is holding everything up. You don't need, yeah, we don't need a substratum. Plato was wrong, Aristotle was wrong, Hinduism wrong. We don't need any substratum. We don't need anything behind it. There's no secret. <laughs> There's no, like, I just want to see beyond, you know, there's nothing behind it. It is presenting itself exactly as it is. It's just that also human beings make this mistake and create the flat world. So the flat world was never in existence, so it can't disappear. It's not like there was something flat and then it disappeared, right? Of delusion, it can't be like, well, it was there, and now we made it go away, right? It never was there. Isn't that so? Isn't it nice just to be free of delusion? Do we have to have anything else? Why not just be free and then, you know, go home and watch our favorite TV show, right? If you're free, right? You're free, aren't you? So in Dharma, sometimes we misunderstand and we, we don't understand that we're really, you know, after liberation and happiness. Why do we want to become, we, we want to benefit others, but actually we just really want to be free and we want others to be free, isn't that it? We're not going to be happy if we're not free. So we just want to be free of all, you know, delusions and then you can go out and enjoy your life. It's nice, you don't have to add anything extra. It's just. Get out of here and go have a life, right?
like that. <laughs> okay, that makes sense, right? So these are good questions. So. <clears throat> yeah, you can turn that off now. So good. <clears throat> So now I'm going to say some nice things about um, <clears throat> Greg and Sophie. So uh, they're going to do like three bells and offer a cut and a small offering, which we'll probably repeat uh, next month. Uh, <clears throat> But I wanted there to be some witnesses, right? Yeah. <coughs> An important thing in taking refuge is that we really say we want to really wake up not and be free uh, for ourselves, and uh, we want others to be free. And we've at least developed some confidence that it can be done, that it's not just, you know, uh, total silliness and then we have some confidence in the lineage and we have some confidence in the teacher like that. So both of you met different teachers, right? Greg's met a number of different teachers too. That's good karma, correct? And Sophie, you've met some different teachers too, right? Well, you've met, you've seen Arja Rinpoche. Yeah, you've seen, Ar you've seen Arja Rinpoche too. And who else? Maybe Kansarim Shay when he came. Yeah. So, uh, and then they've been around for a while, which is really good. So it isn't like we're going to get anything. In fact, usually, actually, Dharma is all about losing what we don't need. We all got extra, right? So it's nice. We, I can give up the delusions. Right, we don't need to have them, but we are we are very attached to them. Right, so I know it's hard to give up delusions. They're ours, damn it! So we worked hard for them, but so by taking refuge, we're saying we're 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 willing to give up some of our favorite delusions, like me. Like we give up our favorite delusion is that only I in the world, and that's it. So I'm very happy. So I'm going to give them a copy of the refuge ceremony so, and the, uh, the refuge sadhana because then you can study it and practice it. And then when we do it on uh, the 15th on Lama Sankaba Day, then it'll feel more real, okay? <clears throat> and then uh, you, you two will get uh, to each... Uh, uh, lineage name, right? So my the, my first lineage is like Yeshe, so everyone has first Yeshe and then something after that. From the teacher I, you know, became ordained with, like that. Frankly, I, I have to say that both of you, everyone here is extremely lucky because uh, it's very difficult to find authentic teachers. There's a lot of silliness out there, isn't there? You know, people are, you know, just using dharma for their own means or something like that. So the people here have been around long enough that, you know, like here at Lions Horror, we, we have a tradition and we have these incredible teachers that have come like that, right? 
So there's some confidence like that. So they wouldn't come if I was an idiot. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but you know that's that's important that you know too. It's it's because they know that we're going in the right direction. But we all need a lot of patience, don't we? Yeah. So what you do is you uh, do three bows and come forward, and then I'll hand you the refuge text. I'll say, "Do you want to take refuge?" And you'll say, "Yes." And offer kata, yeah. Yeah, so you offer kata. You can offer kata first. You put kata here. And then you put offering here. You put them like here. You're just there. Yeah. Yeah, and then step aside and both interested in taking refuge? You are, aren't you? One of the nice things I do with uh, Geshe Damchala is when we come up, uh, we, we both do prostrations together. Have you noticed that? Uh, no one else does that. Yeah, because out of deep respect for Geshe and to show that we're really doing it as a partnership. So if you're doing, you're doing, doing three vows together, then you two can depend upon each other. That's kind of the tradition, like, you know, when we take refuge with people, uh, my teacher said, it was like um, at Golgotha, you know, this place of the skull where Jesus was crucified, you know, there were, those are criminals on either side, right, or something, right? Um, so uh, he said, when we have good times with people, we forget. But you never forget those that you've been up on the cross with, right? So those you've taken refuge, you just never forget. You go, oh, this is, I took refuge with this person. So even if you don't see each other for 25 years, you go, oh, OK. Hi, Greg. Hi, Sophie. Like, <laughs> we took refuge together. Yeah, so now you do three vows each together, same time. And you generally, the, the huh? The, the, general, the real fancy way is forehead, up here. Well, even crown. I mean, it's a crown, forehead, throat, heart. Do you want to try one more time? Yeah, so crown, forehead. And then, then you do like down. Greg's really brave. He has really bad hips. <laughs> one bad hip. Oh, just one. Okay. Can you do two more? Okay. Ready? One, two, three, four, like that. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Then, very good. One more. One, two. So you can both approach. So, 
So uh, we sing the refuge. Let's just sing the refuge formula together three times. All right. Everybody, do you know it? It goes like this. So turn around and face them. So, Namo Gurube, Namo Buddhaya, Namo Dharmaya, Namo Sangaya, Namo Gurube, Namo Buddhaya, Namo Dharmaya, Namo Sangaya, Namo Gurube, Namo Buddhaya, Namo Dharmaya, Namo Sangaya. Now everyone here is supposed to pledge support to them. This is the real traditional way, sometimes when we have a lot of people. So like, these people are supposed to be looking out for you, right? So they're supposed to give you support. So if you say, okay, I need some support right now, everyone here is supposed to go, okay, you got it, you got you got support, you know, and then you say, okay, I need a ride, you know, and you go, okay, I'll try to work out a ride, or, you know, I need some food, okay. So it's, there's no cowboy dharma. It, taking refuge is not a perfectionist thing where we're saying, okay, now I got to be a good little Buddhist and be perfect. No, it's about saying, I'm going to support to people, uh, seen and unseen, who are here to support me, right? That's it. That makes sense, right? It's not trying to be perfect. And believe me, these you know, no one here is perfect as Gretzky. I don't believe anyone's perfect. So that's good. So they both are humble. Uh, so I ask everybody in the Sangha, and I'll say it again, you know, give them their support. So you should, you should ask people. So if you say, you know, could you support me? I, I need to see my family over Thanksgiving. and. Or Greg could say, "Could you support me? I, you know, I, you know, I want you to do some prayers for my one hip." <laughs> right. We should ask support of each other. That's there's no. This isn't individualistic. work. it's interdependence, right, Elizabeth? Yeah. Okay. Oh, Mahong. All right. You get to have a seat now. That's great. Congrats. Yeah. Read the sadhana. So. <clears throat> My favorite thing to do is actually uh, refuge um, because actually it's it's get, it's giving up our kind of uh, addictions and it's asking for support, right? So it isn't like I'm going to get something now. You know, sometimes when people go to empowerments, you know, there's a ritual, right? And it feels like you're going to get something, like some experience, right? And actually, that's not the proper. You go to initiation, it's also like refuge. You're giving up something you don't need. So that's why we're always making offerings. But it takes a while to, you know, to just understand that we have more than we need and we can share. So. We, we've all figured that out by now, don't you think? <clears throat> so we should end with uh, 
dedication prayers unless someone would like to make a statement on Sophie's and um, Greg's behalf. This is kind of intimate. This is the way my teacher used to do it. We haven't done it big time when everyone's here, but you know, then. Yeah, like, I don't know, like, a little bit Dharma debate. Yeah, you just make a statement on their, for them, toward them. So, of course, um, uh, the, the incredible teachers that come here, uh, they know I've studied Mankat Sarajay, studied Naropa, done all these retreats and practices, but we can, you know, anybody can claim a whole bunch of things, right? You go on the internet, and sometimes, you know, you see teachers, and they're just like, they're, they're just like this long on the and the page, like all these things, right? Um, but the, uh, the important thing uh, is like, well, what are the students like, right? Because that's really the most important. So the teachers come here and they go, uh, wow, this, this is really, these are nice, you know, sometimes they say nice students, sometimes they say nice American students. You know, they, they've done some <laughs> 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 you know, but many times teachers come and students aren't prepared. They're kind of arrogant. You can tell they're not paying attention. They feel there's kind of a stiffness. So when people, when teachers like Arjurimshe, Kansarimshe come here, Jadarimshe, they they feel they like family. There's there's love and respect, but it, it's not stiff, right? So that that means you're. You're in a good situation. You're actually learning uh, dharma, but not in a stiff, sectarian way, not, not in a competitive way, right? And they really see that. They pick up on that. So thank you for everybody. Because the only reason I'm a teacher is because I have students. The only reason I'm a good teacher is good students, right? Arjun Ramshi doesn't even give empowerments. He goes, no one pra- he says, I won't do it, <laughs> right? He's amazing, though. Just being in his presence, you get a darshan, don't you? Yeah, that's amazing. So when are you going to Nepal, Jules? Yeah, really good. So that's... Your, is that a firm date now? Sorry? Yeah, yeah. You have the ticket. Okay, that's good. So you'll be, you know, our ambassador in Nepal, and then uh, more shall come of that. And then Roberta's going up to the Abbey and uh, Venerable Tubden Chodron's coming down here in April. That's a big deal, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that a lot. So that's the extended family, too. So say hi. Uh, she's not there, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's all over the... She's all over the world. Yeah. 
Okay, let's close. <clears throat> Page 15. Due, the, due to the merits of these virtuous actions, may I quickly attain the state of a Guru Buddha and lead all living beings without exception into that enlightened state. May the supreme jewel bodhicitta that has not arisen arise and grow, and may that which has arisen not diminish but increase more and more. In the land encircled by snowy mountains, you are the source of all happiness and good. All powerful Chenrezig, Chenzungatso, please, please remain, remain until samsara ends. May the teachings <coughs> of the Buddha flourish, and may the upholders of the teachings remain forever. May all migrators achieve happiness, and may they fulfill all their temporary and ultimate goals. Bosang, magical display of the deep awareness of all the victorious ones, Merciful giver of a stream of profound and vast instructions to the fortunate migrators, please remain always unperishing, unchanging, unfading. Avalokiteshvara, great treasure of objectless compassion, Manjushri, master of flawless wisdom, Vajrapani, destroyer of the entire host of Mars, Sankarva, crown jewel of the snowy sages, Losangdrakpa, I make request to your holy feet. La la la, that's good. So, <clears throat> uh, this um, Saturday, of course, is retreat, and then most of you would have gotten the email. So, Geshe Damchala's um, going to um, uh, India uh, December fourth. So I asked him to come you know, this Sunday, and we'll say goodbye to him, you know, and wish him well. Um, he's going to uh, the the main monasteries and uh, our school are in southern India, and the Dalai Lama's going to be there for his 600th anniversary of Lama Sankapa's Parinirvana, so that's a big one. He hasn't been uh, back to India since getting his green card. Um, and then he's going to visit Jadarimshe for a month in, in January. I'll be coming back middle of February. So we're kind of saying, okay, bye, like that. That'll be fun, won't it? Yeah. He's nice. Yeah, so his English is, it's not as strong as it would be good for him because he's very intelligent. Um, and I know we missed something in translation. But also, like, he's a really good Lama, you know, just, I've known so many teachers and some of them not so good, frankly, right? Let's be honest, right? Just weird. Um, you know, or unfriendly, or just, you know, this, or stuff, you know? So, um, I don't know, like, let's see, I don't know how long I've known Gishla now, like 12 years, 13 years? Nothing. You know, just like, you know, just always kind of like willing to help out. He has definite ideas about design. <laughs> and I would just go along, but like, just, you know, that's, that's the, it's just like I'm in, just doing shamatha on that, like, no, no bullshit. It's just freedom, like, like, like incredible, you know, like usually there's something with somebody, right? Particularly if they come over 
Mongolia, they've never been over here, and you're thinking, oh, there's going to be some kind of thing or something. No. That's a really mature llama, right? Just stays, comes over here, you, you know, just stays this stays with Basang and his wife for a while in this little uh, duplex on El Camino. And, and then uh, Basang's mom comes over. So it's like, you know, there's two bedrooms in this, you know, just teeny little place, and there are all these Mongolians living there. And Geshe is still kind of like, okay, it's good. Right? It's amazing. So I, you've never heard Geshe say anything bad about anybody. I just I wouldn't believe it. You know, if there's some, he'll just kind of go, he'll just laugh or something. But he's very smart. He knows, you know, okay, we have to do things this way. We have to do it right. But you don't hear, you know, the negativity. This is a mature monk, right? And believe me, if you've grown up as he did, with young kids, him and Basan, with you know, three thousand other you know, guys, there's going to be conflict, right? Yeah, so, you know, so that, that's, that's been really helpful to us because he's used to like, okay, so that didn't work that way, we'll do it this way, you know? So that, it's very nice. So uh, he goes to India and brings very, you know, people are delighted. He's the first Mongolian since the Russian invasion to attain Geshe degree. He's a big shot, right? So people, he's very humble, right? But he's, he's really like, so I just have to tell this that every time he leaves, I will say, okay, you're coming back, right? Because he's already been offered abbotships at large monasteries, right? Don't fool yourself. It's not like, you know, people are kind of, no, it's like they've already, you know, goes to Mongolia and even in India say, hey, we, we get you this, we do this, we do this for you. And he still wants to come back to Sacramento. That's pretty awesome, right? It's the thing about that, right? Yeah, you know, like you could be this famous abbot, so like that. So I really respect that. He has a real devotion to, to you know, doing Dhammi here. It's nice, inspiring. And so do I. I'm still here. All right, so enjoy the evening, everybody. Very good. When are we meeting? This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.